Luke 9 and beginning in verse 28. And it came to pass about eight, about an eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistering. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass, as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias, not knowing what he said. While he thus spake, there came a cloud, and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone. And they kept it close and told no man in those days any of those things which they had seen. Amen. I ask God to bless the public reading of his word to our souls. I want us to consider this morning the significance of the ministry of our Lord. That he was unlike any who had come before and unlike any who would come after. The point of the passage before us is to reveal the superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ as the one and only Messiah and the greatest man of God who has or ever will walk the face of this earth. I've chosen Luke's account because of the particular focus he has in his gospel on the true humanity of the Lord Jesus. The other gospel accounts have the same truth, but Luke's particular focus is to draw our attention to the Lord's true humanity and his complete dependence on the Holy Spirit to perform his ministry. Um, just to show that to you briefly, we won't be dealing with these verses as much, but in verse 29 it says, And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered. It's interesting that Luke is the only gospel that records that it was while Christ was praying that this occurred. Matthew and Mark uh, reveal that he went up into a mountain and took the other disciples with him. But Luke is the only one that draws the focus that he prayed when this transfiguration, this revealing of his glory happened. And again, that is uh, particular to Luke because of his focus on the Holy Spirit's operation in the life in the true manhood of the Lord Jesus. But I want us to consider uh, the truth of this passage under three simple headings. Just three simple headings. Three men, three ministries, and one Christ. Three men, three ministries, one Christ. If you'll look with me at verse 30. And behold, there taught with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. So have here two of the greatest men of God that have ever lived. Their testimony in Scripture is everywhere. You find their names being mentioned, Moses especially. 
But I want us to consider these three men. First of all, Moses. I want us to consider with Moses his reputation first, and then his character. So Moses' reputation, uh, when you read your Bible, you may have noticed he is almost always referred to as the man of God. Moses referred to as the man of God. That is his reputation. Uh, in Psalm 90, the title, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. In Joshua 14.6, in Ezra 3.2, etc. Almost any time you read in First Chronicles or Kings, uh, the name of Moses being mentioned, it's always uh, joined to Moses, the man of God. So his reputation uh, in the scriptures, and especially as we come to the New Testament, them looking back to him as the man of God, the epitome of the prophet of the Lord, and an example for all. So his reputation, the man of God. In Deuteronomy 34.10, we are told that no prophet was raised up after Moses' death who was like him. That there was no one who, could it be, who it could be said of that he saw God face to face. That's the language used in Deuteronomy 34.10. Very strong language that he was a man, he was the man of God, and he was the man who saw God face to face. And it could be said of nobody else. That's his reputation. His reputation. Now his character. Uh, I want us to see he is sold out for Christ in his ministry. It's not something that I've heard very often spoken of. But when we think of Old Testament saints, we tend, uh, whether it's because of the influences of dispensationalism or our backgrounds or just our lack of understanding, we don't typically think of them being so close knit to Christ. And yet, I want us to see, if you'll turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, I want us to see that Moses was sold out for Christ. That was his character. A man of God who saw God face to face and was sold out for Christ. So in Hebrews eleven twenty four through 26, we read, By faith Moses... When he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Moses could have stayed in Egypt, he could have stayed in Pharaoh's household. He could have lived an easy life. And yet, he abandons that. He sells out for Christ. He abandons his life of luxury in Pharaoh's palace and esteems, as we read in our text, the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. So, that's his character. So we see his reputation, his character, and now I want us to see his parallel. Uh, in Deuteronomy 18.15, if you'll turn there with me. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. We read that the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. This is Moses speaking to the Hebrews, and he says that the Lord's going to raise up a prophet like unto me. And in verse 18 we read, 
I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, the Lord speaking back to Moses, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. So we see there Moses' parallel. This passage is speaking of Christ and his, the coming of the Messiah who's going to be uh, the prophet of the Lord. So we see that the parallel is of a faithful prophet. Moses was a faithful prophet. He spoke the word of God as it was revealed to him. He was the one that went to Egypt to call the people back to Jehovah. So we see his character, his reputation, and his parallel. Now I want us to consider Elijah under this, category, or this point of three men, Elijah. I want us to see, first of all, his name under his reputation. This is Elijah's reputation. His name is, uh, if you translate it out, it's Elijah. So Eli, or Eli, is the Old Testament word, Hebrew word for God. You see that his, the latter half of his name, Jah, is an abbreviation of the Old Testament name of God, Jehovah. So his name, uh, if you bring it out, is actually, my God is Jehovah, is Elijah's name. So immediately when someone would speak his name or someone would refer to him, they were saying, my God is Jehovah. So the first mention we have of Elijah is in 1 Kings 17.1, if you'll turn there, uh, if you're not far from it. Uh, 1 Kings 17.1. We see that first mention of him. And it's a very theatrical appearance, it would seem. We read, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, who was the king at the time, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand. There shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Now there's a lot of context that goes into this. Israel was in a state of gross sin and immorality, and Ahab was a very wicked king. But Elijah comes on the scene to tell Ahab that there's not going to be rain or dew, but according to my word. And as we'll see later, it's a result of his praying that this is, this is the event. But we see Elijah's reputation as my God is Jehovah. He was a man of God who stood before kings and declared what Jehovah's judgment was upon the nation. So we see his reputation. Now, secondly, let's see his character. His character, a man of faith and prayer. In James 5.17, we read, Elias, or Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. So his character, a man of faith and prayer so close to God, so given to prayer that he could pray that the Lord would stop the heavens from giving rain upon the nation as a judgment upon the nation's sins. So we see that he is a man of faith and prayer. That is his character. And his parallel, 
is parallel. In Malachi 4.5, we're told, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the, to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And then we read the fulfillment of that in Luke chapter 1, verse 14. It says, or 17 rather, And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, speaking of John the Baptist, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So that's his parallel. So you have Moses being paralleled in Deuteronomy 18 to the coming of Christ. A prophet like unto you will I raise up of your brethren. Then you have Elijah being paralleled with John the Baptist, who our Lord said was the greatest among women to ever be on the earth. And so I want us to see their character, their reputation, their character, and their parallels because these were great men of God appearing with the Lord Jesus. And if you can try to put yourself in the place of Peter as he stands uh, beholding Moses, the man of God, and Elijah the Tishbite, whose name is Jehovah is my God, or my God is Jehovah. You want to put yourself in his shoes, in the shoes of James and John who were with him, and just standing in awe of the three greatest men you can think of. The Lord Jesus Christ, Moses the man of God, and Elijah the Tishbite. But, I also want us to see under these three men, our third man, the Lord Jesus, and his reputation, his reputation. If you look at Matthew 16, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13, we read of a clear example of his reputation. Verse 13, when Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So we see that the Lord Jesus was being held up to be one of the greatest prophets in general among men. Now we know that he is the greatest prophet, but they were questioning, who is he? Who is he? Is he come uh, as the prophecies were foretold? Is he the, the prophet that the Lord would raise up like unto your brethren? Or is he just another great prophet? Is he Elijah? Is he John the Baptist? But Peter rightly affirms, because it was revealed to him from the Father in heaven, that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And this is significant, because when we read this account in Luke chapter 9, we see that Peter uh, does fall into sort of a mistake uh, that we'll get into later, but it's significant that he knew before this event, because this is coming uh, right before this statement that Peter makes is right before the account of the Lord's transfiguration, his revealing of his glory. So Jesus, his reputation, 
John 1.36, John beholds him as he walks and says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And in John 7.45-46, the Pharisees had sent officers to apprehend Jesus. And they come back and say, Never man spake like this man. And the Pharisees want to know, Why didn't you apprehend him? Never man spake like this man. So everyone recognizes the, the significance of the Lord Jesus, at least in his comparison to other men of God. So next we want to see his character. And that can be summed up in Matthew 3.16 where the Lord's baptism takes place and the Holy Ghost descends on him in the form of a dove and the Father in heaven speaks with a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. In whom I am well pleased. Father has never said that concerning any other. The way that he said it of the Lord Jesus. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. There was nothing in the Lord Jesus that was not pleasing to the Father. Like there could be found in these other men. So we see his reputation, his character. And we don't see his parallel. We see his superiority to the other two men. We see his superiority, and we just read Matthew sixteen sixteen. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're not just another prophet. You're not just one of the prophets. You're not just some great man of God. You are the man of God, the true man of God, the Christ, the Son of the living God. So, those are our three men as we find them in Luke Chapter 9, three men. Now we want to see three ministries. Three ministries. In verse 33, we read, And it came to pass as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias, not knowing what he said. It's interesting that phrase, not knowing what he said, doesn't appear in Matthew's account of the gospel, of this account. And in Mark, uh, we're told something interesting that Peter was almost stumbling as he said this because he was afraid. Because of the, uh, he was overwhelmed with the experience. And so, earlier I said he may have made a mistake. I think more of it is Peter's just overwhelmed and he can't really consider what he's saying. But... What he says is, is, is wrong in that it implies an equality among these men. So when Peter says, we'll make one tabernacle for thee, Lord, and one for Moses and one for Elias, he's, in, he's I believe, unintentionally, um, as maybe we all would if we were in that situation. Sometimes people are very harsh on Peter. And I think more often than not, if we were in his situation, we would have found ourselves doing the same thing, making the same mistakes. But Peter says these things not knowing what he said or not considering truly what he said because he implies inequality among them. But we want to see the three ministries because this is why Peter maybe perhaps didn't grasp exactly what he was saying. The ministries of these men were overwhelming. Uh, we have Moses. We want to see the nature of his ministry and we want to see the failure of his ministry. Uh, Moses, the nature of his ministry. In John 1.17 we're told Grace uh, for the law came by Moses, but grace and truth from Jesus Christ. The law came by Moses. Moses had the ministry of the law. 
Moses gave the law of God on Mount Sinai. He was the receiver of it in the two tablets. And he gives it to the Hebrews. And as we come to the New Testament, obviously the law is misunderstood, misapplied, and misused by the Pharisees. And yet they hold Moses in high esteem because he has given them the law of God from God. He was the one who the Lord gave it to first on Mount Sinai. So we, the nature of his ministry was a ministration of the law. He, he gives the law. But he was more than that. He's more than just a lawgiver. He had a very significant um, part in um, keeping the children of Israel from the wrath of God. And in Psalm uh, 106.23, uh, it's a very interesting uh, account of what happened on uh, in Exodus chapter 32. Uh, verses 10 through 32 is the account where we have Moses on Mount Sinai pleading with God for the people of Israel. So in Psalm 106.23 we read, Therefore he said that he would destroy them had not Moses his chosen stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath lest he should destroy them. That Moses stood in the breach for the people of God that he stood there and pleaded with God not to destroy the children of Israel. That account in Exodus 32 is always a uh, very sobering um, thing to read, how the Lord was ready to destroy the people and was pleased to answer the prayer of Moses, the man of God, uh, on their behalf and his intercession. But we see the nature of Moses' ministry, that it was a ministration of the law, but that he was also a intercessor for the people of God, that he went to prayer, he prayed earnestly, and kept the wrath of God from coming upon the children of Israel in that sense. But we want to see also the failure of his ministry, the failure of his ministry. For though Moses is the man of God, though he is an extreme prayer warrior, the likes of which uh, we may never know on this earth, the Lord has recorded his, his failure. Um, I think very significant that the Lord has recorded his failure because we have a tendency to worship men. We have a tendency to see men for more than what they are. We have a tendency to think of men in terms of a Savior when there's only one Savior. And I think to some degree that's what we find Peter doing. We'll make one tabernacle for... Moses and Elijah will make one for Christ. Uh, but again, I think Peter is just overwhelmed with the situation. But the failure of Moses' ministry in Numbers chapter 20, if you want to turn there and read it with me, Numbers chapter 20 and verse 8, the Lord says to him, Take the rod and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water. And thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so shalt so thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him, and Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Here now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice, and the rock and the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. 
And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation to the land which I have given them. The failure of Moses' ministry, disobeying the Lord, and he did not sanctify him in the midst of the congregation. Therefore, he is removed from the privilege of leading the children of Israel into the promised land of Canaan. So we see the nature of Moses' ministry and the failure of it. We want to see Elijah now, the nature of his ministry and the failure of it. And if you flip over to 1 Kings chapter 18, the ministry of Elijah is one of action and very significant that he has such a, a important ministry in the history of Israel, what he did and how it changed things, at least for some time. Elijah, the nature of his ministry, 1 Kings 18, uh, verse 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook, Kishon, and slew them there. If you don't know the context of that, um, idolatry is rampant in Israel, and the prophets of Baal are uh, ruling, as it were. They're sacrificing upon every green hill and upon every uh, green place. And Elijah comes, and he challenges them. If your God is real, if Baal is real, then have him consume your sacrifice. Put your sacrifice, set it up, and have him consume it from heaven. And they pray, and they pray, and they pray, and they cut themselves, and they do all these things trying to get a reaction of their false god, from their false god, and nothing happens. Well, then Elijah comes, and he prays to the God of heaven. He prays to the Lord, and the Lord consumes the sacrifice. So that was the nature of Elijah's ministry, a man of prayer, one who prevailed against the prophets of Baal, slew them, mighty to slay the prophets of Baal and to give some measure of deliverance to the people of God in Israel. We also see the failure of his ministry. In 1 Kings 19, 2-3, we read, Then Jezebel, who was the wife of Ahab, the king at the time, sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Speaking of the prophets that he just slew by the brook. And when Elijah saw that, in verse 3, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. And he keeps going, and he travels a journey, and he finds himself alone, and he gets out. He's afraid of being killed by Jezebel, even though he just stood before hundreds of prophets. 
and defied them to the face and made fun of them and mocked them because they couldn't get a reaction out of their false god. And yet, this woman Jezebel comes to him, threatens him, and he runs for his life. And we come to verse 13 of chapter 19. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering end of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? Why are you not ministering? Why are you not preaching the word of God that he's been told and commanded to preach to Israel? He's run off and he's left his ministry. He's left his post. And the Lord says to him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. The Lord says to him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. The Lord comes to Elijah, and he tells him, You're wrong for running off, essentially. You've left your post. I'm going to replace you. He gives him his final orders, and he says, Go, make these two kings, and then give your your office to Elisha. So we see there the failure of Elisha. He didn't, of Elijah. He did not continue in the work faithfully. Um, So we see the nature of Moses and Elijah's ministry and the failure of both their ministries. But now we want to see the nature of the Lord Jesus' ministry. As we've already read in John 1.17, it says, The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace and truth uh, marks the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that came to restore hope to Israel, to restore hope to the people of God, to bring about true salvation, true redemption, and to accomplish the victory over sin and death. We read in Luke 4.18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So, we see the Spirit of the Lord is upon the Lord Jesus. As He said, He's fulfilling Isaiah uh, 61 or 60, I believe. He's come and he's been anointed and he's preaching the gospel and he's in the power of the Lord, in the spirit of of God. But something that's significant about the Lord Jesus that none of the other prophets can say is John uh, chapter 1 or chapter 334 says that he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God for God giveth not the spirit by measure unto him. The Lord Jesus had the spirit of God in him without measure. He had no hindrance of sin, no hindrance of a fallen state, had a perfect humanity, perfectly trusted God, perfectly preached the word of the Lord, perfectly proclaimed the message that he was told to proclaim. And God giveth the Spirit, God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. 
He had fully the measure of the Spirit of God. So that's the nature of the Lord Jesus' ministry. It's a unique ministry. He was greater than any other that had come before or any who would come after. And obviously, the Lord Jesus never failed in anything that he did. Unlike Moses and unlike Elijah, who did fall as we all fall, as we all have fallen, as we all do fail, in whatever ministry the Lord gives us. But the Lord Jesus didn't fall. He didn't fail. We see the success, not the failure of his ministry. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, we read, God who at sundry times and in diverse manner spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. The success of the Lord Jesus' ministry, he ascends into heaven and sits down on the right hand of God. There was no failure in his ministry. We read in the next chapter of Hebrews 3, it actually says that he is greater than Moses and recounts that he who... He's greater than Moses as one who... uh, As Moses was in the house, Christ built the house, it says... For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. So Christ is the builder of the house. He's the one who is the foundation stone of the house. Moses is one who is in the house. And so we see that he's greater than Moses there. So we see the three men. We see their three ministries. Now we see one Christ. One Christ in verse 33 through 36, we have this account of Peter's ill-considered statement of making the three tabernacles, one, one for each of them, implying his equality. And yet the Father comes. In verse 34, it says, While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. We won Christ. His uniqueness in verse 33. He's unique from Moses and Elijah. He deserves His own place. Not one with Moses and Elijah, but one distinct from Moses and Elijah and from any other. His uniqueness. His approval from heaven. His approval from heaven, his father comes while Peter is speaking these words to build three tabernacles. The father comes and says, this is my beloved son, hear him. Not Moses, not Elijah, hear him. Hear Christ. And then we see his long standing. The one Christ, his uniqueness, his approval from heaven, and his long standing in verse 36. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone. And they kept it close and told no man in those days any of those things which they had seen. Jesus was found alone. I prefer the wording in Matthew a little more. It says that they were on the ground 
Matthew actually recounts that the, the apostles were on the ground trembling for fear because of the glory of the Lord that was there and the Father speaking, this is my beloved Son, hear him. And in Matthew we read in verse 8 that they lifted up their eyes and they saw no man save Jesus only. They saw no man save Jesus only. We close with considering that in the end, in verse 36, the Lord Jesus Christ is left for the apostles to behold their one true mediator. He alone is the one who fulfills all righteousness. Christ alone is the one who came and kept the law when no one else could. He's the one who succeeded when Moses and Elijah and every other prophet, to some degree lesser or greater, failed. He's the one who succeeds. We read in 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. In the end, they lifted up their eyes and they saw no man save Jesus only. And for each one of us here today, we need to always remember, though we may be encouraged to follow the example of good men, the Apostle Paul tells us, be ye followers of me, even as I am of Christ. And we understand, as much as he follows Christ, we can follow him. But one thing we all need to remember and remind ourselves of continually is to see no man save Jesus only. Jesus only can deliver us from sin. Jesus only has delivered us from sin. Jesus alone, our worship to the Father through Him, in the power of the Spirit on His day, should be our focus. As we leave here, let us take with us that statement. They saw no man, save Jesus only. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we again are grateful to Thee for the word to us today and the word to our own souls. Lord, Thou knowest how prone we are to wander, how prone we are to make much of men and to put them upon pedestals. And we pray, Lord, that Thou would ever keep us aware, keep us conscious of the uniqueness, of the superiority of the man Christ Jesus. Help us to rest in Him today, Lord. Help us to see none but Him. Help us to rely on Him. Help us to trust in Him. And help us to cast every care upon Him as Thou hast told us to. Depart us now with Thy blessing, Lord, and be with us through the rest of Thy holy day. And help us to see no man save Jesus only. In His name we pray. Amen.